This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamaliti. Gardening's become exceptionally popular, so people out there really want to do something, have purpose, and they want to spend more time in their backyard. Also, it kind of goes along with history. In World War II, vegetable gardens gained popularity, and they were called the Victory Garden. So it seems like during a time where we have uncertainty, people go to the garden for some peace and for a joy, food security as well. But that's a great way to get kids to eat better. They start to eat more vegetables. They start to eat more fruit. They start to see where food comes from. They start to value food. You know, growing your own food is really not about saving money. It's about the experience, and it's about the lessons that we can learn and kids can learn. That's Frank Ferragini, otherwise known as Frankie Flowers. He's an award-winning horticulturalist, best-selling author, and our favorite weatherman. Container gardens, balcony gardening, and endless land to build the garden of your dreams. Space doesn't really matter when it comes to gardening. It's what you do with that space that counts. Anyone can be a gardener. Well, we're going to find that out today. At least I hope so. Thanks for coming on the show, Frank. It's great to be here today. Now, do you prefer Frank, Frankie? Does it matter? You can call me whatever you want as long as you call me, but I kind of like Frankie. It's kind of fun and it's kind of like, you know, it's, and I was always Frankie by all my, um, every one of my family members, my close friends in my home community of Bradford, Ontario, it's Frankie. Always Frank. Okay. Frankie it is. How long have you been gardening? I am a product of child labor. Yeah. My uh, family business is, uh, they're greenhouse growers. They have two garden centers, but we were farmers as well growing up. So I've always been really close to being in a garden or growing something. My first home that I was uh, brought up in was attached to a greenhouse. Uh, So I've always had dirt under my fingernails. Well, we're going to come back to gardening in a few minutes, but I want to get into some culinary questions because I know you love to cook. Mm -hmm. So how would you describe your kitchen style? I'm, I'm a freelancer. Meaning that, uh, you know, sometimes I just look what's in the in the fridge. And so my father goes to the Ontario Food Terminal still to this day. And uh, every week, my dad brings back a, bro- a big box of produce. And so generally, each and every week, I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of some of the produce that I have. <laughs> right. So a lot of the times, it's just looking into the fridge and saying, oh, hey, I have a whole bunch of eggplants. I have a whole bunch of peppers. I have a whole bunch of onions. So you know what? I'm just going to chop all those up, roast them in the oven. And then put them in a container and I can use it on my sandwich or I can then make a pasta and mix it in with my pasta. And then I'll take some fresh herbs from the garden and kind of upscale it a bit. So a lot of the times it's like there's no method or madness. It's just like, what do I got and what am I going to do with it? Right. But there has to be one of your go-to dishes, something you make all the time. It's like a fail-safe. A fail-safe go-to dish. I'm a huge, you know, fish. (laughs) And that doesn't sound like a a dish itself, but... (laughs) Fish is so easy and quick to prepare. Right. It absorbs lots of flavors. Something that I've recently fell in love with is this dry rub, this dry jerk rub. <laughs> I love jerk chicken. I love So do I. I love, I, I love. And so this dry rub, it's a Canadian company. As I'm talking, it's a Canadian company. I'm just walking through my kitchen right now. It's so funny <laughs> that we can do this. I'll read what it is. But that's kind of my recent go-to right now is to use this rub on, on everything. And so it's a dry rub. And it's by a company that's called Fire in the Kitchen Spice Co. And it's Mama Grace's Inspired Jerk Rub. And this stuff lately has been just awesome. Gives you a little bit of fire. You know what I mean? Uh, And pasta as well. Like, you know, if you think about a go-to, 
Mm-hmm. Making a quick little pasta is is fantastic. My kids love like a garlic pasta, like a garlic butter pasta with a little bit of olive oil and some fresh herbs. So easy, so quick. That's yeah, that's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Is there some like one thing that you can remember trying, like your very first recipe or very first dish that you cooked? So originally, I always remember like my nona, and we would go to my 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 grandparents' mm-hmm. house every every Sunday. Yes. You know, we grew up grew up in a family business and we'd actually work together, we'd eat together, and we'd do it at noon. And and the men generally would just grill. Like if there was anything to grill, that was the men the men would do that. And and the women, it was, you know, it, they would be the one in the in the in the kitchen. And often I would go in there and just kind of observe. Um, probably when cooking really became and took off for me is when I moved out. Um, and when I moved out, I just started to experiment and, and kind of evolve from there. Um, what's the very first thing that I cooked? You know, it's kind of hard for me to remember. I think I always even compare gardening to cooking, you know, with, with gardening, we got to start you off small and build your confidence. And with cooking, you know, doing, you know, even a store made sauce and just doing some noodles, really super simple. You start like that. And then all of a sudden you can start to make your own sauce and then you start to elevate from there. And then maybe with that sauce, you start to use it in a casserole, like a mm-hmm. veal, uh, like a veal parmesan, or even if you're using an eggplant, an eggplant lasagna, it's just kind of evolving. I always remember my nonna, you know, my nonna Chiara, she was the machine. And then I'll tell you a few years ago, I went back to Italy and my cousin Rosie, same age as me, what she could do with food and such a small uh, kitchen in the beach house. Like we have like a family little beach house and it's just tiny, tiny. And this little kitchen, the amount of food she could pound out. But I have lots of memories of food. And it's funny because we do have so many food memories and so many of them that we don't even realize. It's when you get, you smell something or even if you hear some type of kitchen appliance or something, it brings that all rushing back. Mm-hmm. And if you think too, sometimes <laughs> I always compare it like this. You know, have you ever been to a winery? Yes. You go to a winery and you have a great meal and you enjoy some beautiful wine. And then you say to yourself, that wine was so good. I'm going to buy a case of it. And then you bring it back home and it doesn't <laughs> taste the same. Oh my gosh, we did that with Italy. <laughs> right. And I think it's generally what happens is it's the environment you're in, the people you're around make you have a different sensory uh, to that it's food. It's so true. It's so true. I think it's our subconscious that makes things taste better at certain times. Could be the environment of people you're around, and sometimes mm-hmm. even a meal can remind you of just a conversation that was that was held. So you can look at something and you say, "I remember that conversation. Or I remember that person. Uh, I remember that time." It's pretty cool. Are you up for a couple of games? Sure, let's do it. Okay, we're gonna play rapid fire. Tell us one thing most people don't know about you. Wow. When you work on TV, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> what time I get up in the morning? Okay. What time is that? 3 a.m. Name one thing from your childhood that kids today wouldn't understand. Work. <laughs> <laughs> I was leaning towards rotary phone. <laughs> work, rotary that's a good phone. one. That's a good yeah. one. Blackberry. Okay. Yeah, Blackberry, right? <laughs> Pager. <laughs> <laughs> Disco Beach at Alcapoco. <laughs> <laughs> okay, name or sing a song that always puts you in a good mood. 
Oh, you know what? I, I this morning we talked about this on the morning show. It was easy by the Commodores. Oh yeah, just okay. like Sunday morning. Yes, yes, I like that one too. Describe Parenthood using only a movie title. The Outsiders. That's a good one. Would you rather go camping, hiking, boating, or dancing? Dancing. I would have put my money on that one too for you. Well, especially <laughs> now during this during this pandemic. Yeah. With this is the one thing I really miss with a group of friends. I really miss it. What changes have you noticed in home gardening during this pandemic? Gardening's become exceptionally popular. So people out there really want to do something, have purpose, and they want to spend more time in their backyard. Also, it kind of goes along with history. In World War II, vegetable gardens gained popularity and they were called the victory gardens. So it seems like during a time where we have either a world challenge or uncertainty, people go to the garden for also for some peace and for a joy and as well to secure food, about food security as well. So uh, herbs, vegetables, fruits, very popular plant collectors right now too. A lot of millennials are collecting indoor tropical plants and spending up to $3,000 on one plant. What? Yeah. You're kidding. No jokes. Okay. So what's a $3,000 plant look like? So that is a philodendron and the one variety of philodendron, it's all about a variegated stem. So that's what makes it so almost unique. And it's not that big of a plant. It's only about, uh, I would say 12 inches, but they're plant auctions. So if you were to go on Facebook marketplace, Reddit, you'll see all these auctions. Uh, but even uh, Canadian food inspection agency has put out a little bit of a notice saying if you're importing plants, because a lot of these plants come from other places around the world, right. make sure you know the source because they could be bringing in disease, insects, and other problems. Uh, and the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, they look at plants, not only food as well, that comes in from other countries. Well, that's why I'm surprised that you mentioned that. Is, is there like a black market now for like the tropical plants? <laughs> Yeah, there is. So much so that, yeah, so much so that in countries like Vietnam, they've actually had to increase their police force around some of their more protected forests uh, and rainforests because people are going in and stealing plants that are valuable. Um, And so there is, there is a huge black market right now for the world of plants for unique and rare indoor tropical plants. Honestly, I would not have guessed that. I was, I was thought I was being cheeky by saying that, but no, it's, I guess it's happening. Yeah, blood plants, not blood diamonds. I mean, everyone's getting into this planting and they're all, like you said, they're spending thousands of dollars on it. And we got a ton of questions from folks online. Think you can help us out here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's start with this one. How often should you water your garden and what's the best time of day? Okay, best time of day is in the morning. The reason why that's better than evening is if we set a garden off to be wet during the night, will increase disease and increase insects. If we put our gardens to bed at night dry, they'll actually be healthier. How often do you water a garden? That really depends on many different things. Your soil type. If you have a sandy soil, full drainage, you're gonna have to water more often. If you have a heavier soil, even a clay-based soil, you will have to water less often, but sometimes with clay-based soils, you'll have all runoff, so it'll never saturate, so we need to improve the soil. Depending upon the weather, if it's a week of really sunny, windy conditions, you may have to water every day. If it's a week of overcast skies where we have rain and no wind, you may not have to water that week at all. So it's really taking a look at the plants and really kind of thinking, I kind of feel dry. Well, you should water. Watering's key, but the key about watering is to be a deep waterer. And that means when you go to water a garden, soak it. And you're going to water deeply, but infrequently. That means I'm soaking and watering 
every other or every third day. Because if I was just to sprinkle that garden and just put the water on the surface, the roots of plants will go to look for the water and they'll put the roots up by the surface and they'll dry out faster. And how often should I fertilize my plants? If you're lazy or if you're somebody that doesn't have time, you can use a slow release, like a shake and feed fertilizer, which is a one-time application and it actually slow releases for three months. So that's one way, but you're not going to get the most efficient use of fertilizer to a plant. If you want to be more about, hey, I want to grow the biggest tomato or I really want to have the most vibrant looking garden, we do a water soluble then. And we can be feeding weekly or even other every other week, like twice a month. But the best time to feed with a water soluble is after a rain or after the garden's already wet, because then the fertilizer will be taken right in by the roots more efficiently. What is the difference between compost and mulch? So mulch is what we're putting on top of the soil to reduce weeding and to reduce, uh, even to maintain and retain moisture. So cedar mulch is an example. Bark chips could be a mulch. Uh, Even stone can be a mulch. Compost is what we're putting into the soil. So with many mulches, they become compost as they start to break down. So all those wood type mulches will break down into the soil and become compost. But compost is generally organic matter that we're adding into the soil. So we can use leaves in the fall and we can use them over our garden, which will work as a mulch. So they can be shredded and be used on the top of the garden to reduce the amount of erosion that would happen from wind when we don't have, uh, when we have high winds in the wintertime. And then what will happen is we'll till that, those leaves into the soil and they become compost. So there are two different methods, but sometimes they're closely related. Is it too late to do some indoor seeding? So it's too late if you're going to be doing tomatoes and peppers for this time of year. But if you want to do beans, you can start those. And those can be really started in mid-May. And sometimes squash. Squash should be almost not started until the end of May. Because a lot of those warm crops like beans and squash, when I'm talking squash, it's cucumbers. It could be zucchini. It could be spaghetti squash. Those all like warm soil temperatures. So we almost want those plants to go out a little bit later than everything else. First question you have to ask yourself is, do I have enough sunlight? A good food growing garden needs at least six hours of direct afternoon sun. You can start like from seeds directly in the garden. It's called a direct sow. Things like radish, spinach, green onions. You could as well do uh, arugula like that. You can do some lettuces like that. So super easy and like radishes are fantastic and spinach is fantastic because you know you sow, you sow the seed and within five weeks, Sometimes even under that, you can get a full harvest. What's it called where you plant some seeds and then you wait a couple of weeks and you plant some more? So they kind of grow at different times. Succession planting. Thank you. It's called succession. So that's what farmers do as well. If you're wondering, why does this farmer always have radishes? Well, you know, you're doing, you're pretty much doing it every 10 days, even seven days, but you're staging those batches out. So that way you're like, once I harvest these radishes, I'll have new radishes coming on. If they're starting indoors, do you recommend, does it matter if it's a tray or one of those? I've been using some of those Jiffy Pods, like the peat, peat pucks. Yeah, those are great. You can use even an egg carton. <laughs> but the key is you can do an egg carton, fill it with soil and start seeds right in that egg carton. The only thing is, is when the egg carton's wet, so after watering, don't move the egg carton because the, the carton itself becomes very uh, soft and it'll break apart. Usually put them in a big baker's tray. And it's just easy. And then when you water them, the water just stays in the baker's tray. When should we begin planting outdoors? 
So basically our last frost date. So whoever's listening to us today may have different frost dates from all over the province and or the country or even North America. So Jack Frost is that guy that comes around and if he hits her plants and gives them a frost, it'll actually freeze the water in the plant and blow out the cell walls and kill that plant. Typically that's why May 24th has always been like, hey, it's garden weekend because generally across the country, that's a pretty good time, but we can get away and start early outdoors too by doing cold hardy vegetables. Cold hardy vegetables are things like any of your broccolis, your cauliflowers. You can even use Swiss chard by that. Uh, you can use Brussels sprouts. A lot of those things we can, we can plant. So take a time to take a look at cool crops and warm crops. Cool crops are the ones we can do mid spring or early spring. Warm crops are the ones we wanna do later spring. Warm crops are your, your, your peppers, your tomatoes, your squash, your beans, all those ones that really need heat units. An old garden book told me before you want to plant your peppers or squash, do the bare bum test. And the bare bum test is where you just pull your pants down and sit on the soil. If it's too cold for your butt, it's too cold for the peppers. <laughs> I'll get my husband to do that. Just don't be a, a Quebec MP. Did you see that story? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his pepper was right out there. <laughs> I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Frank Ferragini, a.k.a. Frankie Flowers. He's a horticulturalist, meteorologist, and four-time book author. He's here to help us all get growing. So, we touched on some general tips, but let's dig in a little deeper into backyard gardening. So, if we're talking about in the city here, I do all my gardening. I actually built um, a raised garden bed but it's actually more like a container it's a long wooden garden bed um how can we make the most out of a small space so the key is, is to start small and then expand out you know okay. a lot of times people are like i'm going to do it for the first year and i'm going to do a 20 by 40 vegetable garden well that's a ton of work i would recommend for somebody that's starting out from the beginning you even start some food in containers uh, a raised bed like the one you're describing but even just four by eight if you want to build a garden like a four by eight's a beautiful size and you can get good yield of food out of that for your for your family as well once again it's all about light so depending upon the type of light is really determines on what you can grow food growing gardens need lots of light focus on the soil so making sure that you have a good quality soil will benefit you to have a good garden so raised bed, the benefit of a raised bed is, is you usually are putting good soil in. A raised bed, the soil will warm faster than in the garden. And a raised bed is also good because you don't have to bend down as much to do weeding. And also it will be a little, little less weedy overall. And then when you're designing your garden and doing a garden layout, there's certain things I wouldn't grow. Corn really attracts rodents and attracts raccoons and you know, I wouldn't really, I would grow potatoes just for fun, but I wouldn't really, they're, they're usually so inexpensive. Potatoes generally get a lot of disease. So I would maybe stay away from potatoes. Cilantro, if you're a first time gardener, cilantro will be great in the spring and then it'll burn out because it just doesn't like the heat. So you have to sow multiple crops. Ones I would grow, Swiss chard is fantastic. Swiss chard, you, it grows, you cut it and then it comes back again. It grows, you cut it, it comes back again. So you get all these crops, super easy. And I think Swiss chard is an underrated vegetable, full of nutrition, fantastic. I would grow tomatoes for sure. Tomatoes, you get lots of yields. Uh, a, a really good variety of tomato for first-time gardeners, one that's called early girl, and it's an early girl bush. Uh, it's a shorter variety. That's why it's a bush form. 
Uh, it has a mid-sized fruit. It's the one of the first to harvest. That's a really good one. I planted that one last year. That was the first time I planted that one. And loved did you it. do well? Yeah, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, loved it. How about cherry tomatoes? Cherry tomatoes, there's so many. So there's one new variety that's called, well, it's fairly new, but the last five years, it's called sugar snack. It has the highest percentage of sweetness in a cherry Ooh, tomato. That sounds so good. So if you're looking for that, that's great. And I was just thinking there's a lot of grape tomatoes as well, like the grape cherry mm-hmm. tomatoes that grow in clusters. They're fantastic. If you want a small plant that doesn't get that big, like not viney, is one that's called tiny tim. Tiny tim is a more bush form, a mid-sized fruit. And what's really becoming popular too are the yellow cherry tomatoes because they're low in acid. I love cherry tomatoes. I love planting them. It's just because it's like nature's candy. Candy. Like, yeah, it yeah. is. And because we have a small yard, I'll walk by, we'll grab some and just snack on them while we're out there. And then I've also planted in a container as well, uh, strawberry plants right at my back door. So every time we walk in and out the back door, we're grabbing one and, <laughs> and snacking on it. But that's a great way to get kids to eat better. So when the studies have shown as well that when you grow food like that and kids can actually go out and just grab and pick, they start to eat more vegetables. They start to eat more fruit. They start to see where food comes from. They start to value food. So to me, you know, growing your own food is really not about saving money. It's about the experience and it's about the lessons that we can learn and kids can learn. Okay, then what vegetables are best suited for container or raised gardens? There's so many. So we, as we were mentioning, eggplants, there's even a cucumber called space saver cucumber. If you're doing tomatoes, make sure you don't do a vine type tomato. You do a bush tomato, which is also known as determinant. So you'll see on the tag determinant, that's the bush varieties. Uh, we can do some lettuce greens in, in containers, herbs, every herb is fantastic in a container. And I would rather you do like a big pot of basil a big pot of parsley because they'll do better in larger containers uh, than just all mixed into one. We can do strawberries, as you were mentioning, everbearing, but you want to get an everbearing strawberry in a container. They can do well. Swiss chard can do well in a container. You can even do some zucchinis in containers. Beans, you can do a bush form of bean in a container. So there's so many. Some plants that we don't want to do in a container is like a pumpkin. They just get too big. Vine type tomatoes, they'll get too big and blow over. Uh, Potatoes, we could do actually do potatoes in a recycling bin. Really? Yeah. It, just for fun, not a huge yield, but right. yeah, you can do potatoes in a recycling bin. So it's really, it's the soil that matters, right? We want to use a little bit lighter of a soil, like a potting soil in a container. So we used a garden soil. It's too heavy and they'll drown out. They'll just be too wet for too long. Okay. And then how about planting plants together and which we should and which we shouldn't? Because I plant my tomato with my basil. I mean, I cook them together. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing that they're okay to plant together, are they? They are. Basil and uh, tomatoes are a fantastic companion plant. The reason why is number one is they repel aphids. Basil helps repel aphids off your tomato. Some some people say it makes your tomatoes even taste better, but there's no real science to that. But there's two plants that we shouldn't plant close to each other, and that's anything that sounds like don't plant them together. So potato and tomato. Don't plant them close together. And the reason for that, they're both from the deadly nightshade family. (laughs) So uh, Giselle and Tom Brady will not eat them. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Giselle and Tom Brady do not. They do not eat anything from the nightshade family. They're both robotics. They're robots anyway. They're not real people. Um, 
<laughs> I'm just really jealous of them. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but the reason why we don't plant them close together uh-huh. is that if they attract it, they'll attract the same insects, the same diseases. So they're really not good companions. So that's what we're looking. If you think about a fantastic thing that indigenous people do, which is called the three wise sisters, it's a perfect example of companion planting. So you plant corn and then beside the corn, you plant a bean and then underneath you plant squash. So what happens is the bean grows up the corn. The bean actually puts nitrogen in the soil. So actually feeds the corn and then the squash shades the root system. And they all work perfectly in a small space. Wow, that is so brilliant. The three wise sisters. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's still a planting technique that is done by indigenous people right across North America. And I want to bring up, this is something that I grew up with and I saw it everywhere. Um, and surprisingly, still see it today. Can you plant vegetable gardens in your front yard? Oh, yeah. So there's there's something called that's called potager. So the pottage garden. Potager in French means soup. And, and what's soup? Soup is a mix of everything, right? So there's no rules where we can't plant vegetables and flowers together. So in the front yard, we could actually, like eggplant, if you look at eggplant, that's like a sexy looking plant. It has this really cool felty kind of foliage. It has this purple bloom and then it has this black fruit. It's so pretty. Yeah, and you can get a variety called little fingers that are more like cylinders they're, they're really quite nice. And if you underplant it with some purple flowers, like a purple trailing calabricola, which is a million bells, look, you know, you have a really nice looking container, you know, nasturtiums, that's an edible flower that you can intermingle. And yeah, you can put vegetables in the front yard and now it's becoming on trend. Uh, and many urban places, people are repurposing their, their little plot of land and planting vegetables. And there's even lots now that are sharing. So what they're doing is they're planting and then they're they're sharing it to people that are needing food. There's no rules in gardening. Your neighbors always will have an opinion. And don't worry, your neighbors will always have an opinion. Let's talk about pollinators for a little bit. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite varieties to attract those pollinators in our garden? So one thing that a lot of people think is like red or yellow would be a great color for pollinators. Look for plants that are blue. So a lot of perennial salvias are fantastic for that. So the, the, also the Latin name is Veronica. You can even use an annual salvia. Those are fantastic. And then, of course, anything that has a flower is great for a pollinator. So, you know, we talked about tomatoes. Well, if your tomatoes are not setting fruit, generally it means that there's no pollinators around to move that pollen around. So sometimes you have to be the pollinator itself and you have to take the Q-tip and go from flower to flower to flower with a Q-tip. You're actually moving pollen around. But as long as you're planting plants and they are flowering plants, you're going to benefit pollinators overall. The key is a lot of times we forget about having early spring flowering plants. And that's where a spring flowering bulb uh, in our garden, like a daffodil is fantastic because it's an early flower source that when the bees wake up, that there's actually some flowers around. That early season is really a hard time for many pollinators to get some pollen. So early flowering is what I would focus on. And then blue flowers, blue flowers are also really good for um, even hummingbirds. Are marigolds also good as pollinators? I've heard of someone using them as a pollinator or they they kind of planted them in, in between their tomato plants. So generally marigolds are planted around the exterior of a vegetable garden because they do have a fragrance that sometimes will keep things at bay like bunnies and sometimes even other insects. Oh, okay. So yeah, marigolds are, they're a great plant. If you want to grow a plant for the first time with a kid that flowers, use marigolds because the, seed, the seeds are bigger so the kids could even 
work with the seeds. They're not a small seed. So they're better for that. Interesting fact, marigolds too, the flowers of marigolds sometimes are actually harvested by farmers and put into the feed of chickens. And the reason why is it makes their yolks brighter. Oh, I get that. Okay. That's interesting. We touched a little bit on this. How can we keep pests from sampling our crops? So there's many things you can do. So if you have a rabbit, let's just say, we got to say to that rabbit or say to ourselves, what's that rabbit not going to like to see? What's that rabbit going to not like to hear? What's it not going to like to taste? What's it not going to like to touch? So we play with its senses. So sometimes what we'll do is we even take a plastic owl and we'll put an owl decoy up and you're saying, well, what the heck is that about? What that's about is owls are predators to a rabbit. So the rabbit walks out, sees an owl and says, hey man, I'm I'm not going to go here, but you got to move the owl around. you can purchase you can purchase coyote urine. You can actually no way. buy coyote urine. Yeah, you can. Bass Pro, Cabela's, those places will sell. They have a whole section of urine. You can buy like deer urine, coyote urine. Uh, yeah, it's a crazy world out there. I don't know who collects the urine though. I'm just wondering who follows <laughs> See, the coyote. I wasn't going to ask because yeah. my mind went straight to that. And it's like, how is yeah. that happening? Yeah, wait a minute. I got to catch that for you. <laughs> yeah. I need to bottle that. That's worth money. Frank, don't do that. Jug. <laughs> yeah. But the whole idea is you put even dog hair around a garden. That's some things that they won't like to smell. But with rabbits, for instance, what I do and with my leafy greens is I have, I don't know if you know what a stock trough is. So if we were to go to a farmer or a horse farm, we would see things that the horses are drinking water out of. And they're usually a stainless steel, big kind of almost like vat. They're elevated so that rabbits can't get them. And there are some repellents that are available, something called animal be gone. That's good for ornamentals like flowering plants because it will leave a, a bitter taste. So if, if somebody out there is thinking, I'm going to throw animal begone on some of my lettuce, well, that puts what's called bitrix and your lettuce is going to taste like crap. <laughs> so uh, for ornamental plants, good. For edible plants, no. And last but not least, I ask all my guests to share a kitchen confession with us. Do you have one that you'd like to share? Kitchen confession. You know, I was thinking about this. There was lots of confessions that I would have in terms of my kitchen, but I'm going to share with something, something strange that I do for a snack. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, when they want a snack and they want to watch something on TV or they have a movie, they'll go into the kitchen, they'll look for popcorn or they'll look for that bag of chips. Well, I grew up on a farm that we used to farm lettuce and romaine. And when I grew up on that farm, farming lettuce and romaine in the Holland Marsh, the only snack that I had was lettuce and romaine. So now, still to this day, if I want to snack on something, I'll go into my fridge and I'll grab a head of romaine generally, <laughs> and I'll sit in front of the TV and I'll eat that head of romaine leaf for leaf. Okay, well, now you're making me feel crappy about my food choices because <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm in front of the TV, I'm going to go buy some romaine now. <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing this for years. I was even talking to my mom about it the other day. And my mom's like, you've been doing that since you were like in high school. So it's not like... It's not like I'm doing it from a health perspective. It's just like I like the crunch, the freshness. And it reminds me like I would be so hungry in the middle of a field. I just rip a head of lettuce out of the field or a head of romaine and eat it. They used to call me rabbit. Yeah. (laughs) If listeners want to reach out for more information, get in touch with you, find you. I mean, I know where to find you. Everyone should know where to find you. But if they don't, where can they find you? Easiest is just frankieflowers.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Awesome. That was fun. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchenconfession for all the latest on the podcast. 
be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.